I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com, where I'll always keep you updated on what I'm up to. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is Unsweetened NYC, which was started by a woman named Nora Niderman, a 45-year-old designer and mom of two boys and a New York native. They specialize in a variety of high-end tanks and tees that range from $95 to $150, which I know is a lot, but they're really awesome. Uh, And they're all about being a badass mom. And their mission is to empower women while wearing their statement pieces, which are just awesome. So whether you're laughing or crying, they say, whispering or screaming, succeeding or failing, full of love or annoyed AF, we have you covered. (laughs) So that's Unsweetened NYC. They sent me these two adorable tank tops um, and not tank tops. Well, the kind where the sleeves are cut off, but the rest of it is there, not tank, like um, sleeveless shirts. Anyway, uh, and they're really awesome. And I love supporting women-owned brands like this. So go check out Unsweetened NYC. I had so much fun talking to Lionel Shriver about her latest book, The Motion of the Body Through Space. Lionel's novels previous to that include The New Republic, So Much for That, The Post-Birthday World, and the international bestseller, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Her journalism has appeared in The Guardian, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and many other publications. She currently lives in the United Kingdom. Welcome, Lionel. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Oh, it's nice to talk to you. Frankly, these days, it's nice to talk to anybody. (laughs) Don't take that wrong. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) I know. I feel like a lot of the people I'm interviewing are just like, it's nice to see another face. So (laughs) that's it. I'll just be that extra face that pops up. You probably probably have a hard time getting rid of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, that's fine with me. It gets, you know, then I can put my kids on their devices and go in another room and hide out. So it's fine. <laughs> so your latest book, The Motion of the Body Through Space, I was just saying to you, is like the perfect, like passive aggressive, you know, husband, wife commentary just from the beginning and is so good. Can you tell listeners what it's about and also what inspired you to write it? Well, it's, a, it's mostly about a couple who I'm afraid just as I am are starting to get older. She's 60, he's 64. And she's always been athletic, although in a very private regard. She exercises by herself. She doesn't make a big deal out of it. It has to do with her relationship to herself and not other people. And her husband's always been pretty sedentary. One of those people who continues to look pretty damn good, considering that he hardly ever climbs a a stair. And there are such people. I live with one of them. It's (laughs) astonishing. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that, that involves a division of territory, and that's what marriages always do. But because she has been uh, vigorous all her life, her knees are shot, and it's increasingly difficult for her to do what she used to do. She's had to stop running. She does, still does calisthenics at home, you know, but her, her physical efforts have had to be quite constrained, and it, that's been hard on her sense of self. One of the things that the book is looking at is how how invested we have become in our exercise routines for, for an understanding of who we are. And then along comes her husband who decides arbitrarily one day that he wants to run a marathon and it doesn't go down, down well. And at the same time, you know, we live in a culture that you can't give anybody a hard time for wanting to run a marathon, right? It's just, it has this hallowed 
aura of virtue and you're supposed to be supportive and encouraging and admiring and well my protagonist Sarah Nana has a hard time filling that role because she is resentful about what's happening to her body and I'm not sure you say that she exactly misses running but she certainly misses the ability to run she doesn't regard it as a you know an especially lofty activity but it is it you know when you get when you're used to running all the time it is a kind of it's a funny kind of dependency so and the and the book escalates because once he's finished with his marathon and she does take a little too much satisfaction in in the fact that he's not very good at running <laughs> so his 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 time on the marathon is absolutely appalling it's over 7 hours and and a half but nevertheless he He's got the bug, and then he decides he wants to do a triathlon. And the triathlon is what's obviously based on the Ironman thing. So there are lots of of levels of triathlon, but of course he has sets his sights on the really extreme one. And I've invented my own, and I call it Metal Man. And that's spelled M-E-T-T-L-E. And then he takes on a personal trainer who's half his age, incredibly sexy, you know, the stage is set for trouble and dodge. <laughs> and I won't tell you any more than that. But, you know, it's an examination of what I call the cult of exercise in, uh, in the way in which we seem to have elevated it into an almost spiritual pursuit and how we use it as a vehicle to compete with each other and to and to achieve social status. And for older people, it's uh, it's become something that we depend on to convince ourselves that as long as we exercise enough, then we're never going to look old and we're never going to get sick. And though we don't put it to ourselves quite this ridiculously, that we'll never die. Well, there's a lot. There's so much to discuss. <laughs> First of all, I love your sense of humor. In fact, when the so when the husband says he's ready to start running and she says, like, well, you've never even run before. You haven't even run from here to the living room. He's like, well, why on earth would I ever run from here to the living room? <laughs> and she's like, well, you haven't even run down the block. And he's like, well, you know, why would I run around? I mean, it's just so funny. Like their dialogue, it's like you were, it's just so perfect. It's so classic and beautiful. But one thing that I think is really interesting is, as you were saying, people getting older and not being able to work out as much. There's a lot of research, I feel like, on athletes who are professional athletes who have to retire, who get injured at a young age and how devastating that for is. Yeah. But there's so little yeah. on just the natural course of time and what happens to people who... By the way, this could be far bigger of an impact than somebody who's trained professionally but is only 25, right? I know that's devastating to have to put your career aside. But what about all the people who have depended on this? Like you're saying, emotionally, I mean, your main character doesn't even say she likes running that much. She's sort of like, nobody likes running, she yeah. tells her husband. Like, I don't like it. I like having done it. I like how it feels. And so what about that people have to— Real satisfaction is, is having run. Exactly. That's what everyone right. likes. Crossing it off the list. Yeah. Like, this is not fun. (laughs) Are we having fun here? So what do you think about the people, all the, like the the millions of people really who have depended on exercise because it's become such a thing in our culture and now have to put it aside because of their bodies all the time? Like, what about, what about that? What can we do about it? How can, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think it's something that in a combination, the, the media, the medical establishment and the fitness establishment, and there is one now you know, the fitness industry, have all colluded 
to convey the impression that the more exercise you do, the better, that there's no such thing as doing too much of it, and that there are the only limits to your body or in your mind. You know, you just need to overcome your limitations. And, you know, once you start encountering those limitations, they're not something you overcome. And this whole idea that, you know, pain is simply something to to get over, to get past is completely wrongheaded because often the pain is indicating you're doing something stupid. <laughs> and and I and I think it's it's it becomes emotionally disconcerting when something goes wrong with your body and you can't do what you used to do. And especially when what's gone wrong is partly as a consequence of having been so, you know, vigorous, having pushed yourself so much. It's like you're being punished for being good. And it it, it feels unjust. And I I just, I think we haven't, we have linked exercise too much into a kind of moral order of the universe. And my 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 novel, insofar as it's promoting a perspective, is suggesting that maybe we notch it down proportionally into not a moral or spiritual matter, but a mechanical matter. That doesn't mean it's not important, right? But it just has to do with making your body function so you can do other things in it. Where I object to the way a lot of people seem to get caught up in in exercise is that that it becomes their whole raison d'etre, right? Their whole purpose in life. And I can't tell you how tedious these people become. <laughs> you know, I, between ourselves, I was at a dinner party about a year ago with somebody who, who had discovered running. You know, running is boring. <laughs> it's boring enough to do. And there's only one thing that's more boring than doing it, and that's talking about it. And this person did nothing but insert running into every little moment of the conversation. So, you know, whatever story she was telling, she's just like, oh, you know, when I was running around Hyde Park or, you know, when I was running the second circuit of Hyde Park or, you know, it was, it's a kind of over obvious boastfulness. And it really backfires socially, by the way. I think it's fucking <laughs> just sort of warn you all out there. <laughs> it's just, oh, for pity's sake. And I, you know, it, it introduced, uh, this is a person that I actually knew pretty well, and it made me like her less uncomfortably because she had just sort of bought in. It, I mean, it's not as if getting into running is fresh. I would have been more fascinated if she'd taken up crochet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that conversation may have made you like her less, but it's absolutely made me like you more. <laughs> so if there's a if there's a, a benefit to it, I mean, it's so funny because uh, like you're saying the things that so many people think, but then they're sort of ashamed to admit about other people's passions. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Oh, um, you're never you're never supposed to give people a hard time about their wonderful re- fitness regimes. And especially converts, are prone to go on and on about it. And I think that is actually, funnily enough, one of the dividing lines between people who have been doing it for decades and people who, for whom it is just this life-changing discovery. And for the most part, people who do it for decades don't talk about it. Because when it's been folded to your day as a kind of, you know, probably one of the least interesting parts of your day, it's a necessity. 
ultimately makes you feel better, but then this is widely known <laughs> that it, you know that it has the benefits. And you know, when you get a chance to talk to somebody else, especially these days, you know what what a relief to be able to talk about something else. I think sometimes, though, I mean, I am not a big runner, but a few times since this pandemic has happened, I've been relying more on running than I ever have. And I've been thinking about it almost like curiously holding it in my hand, like this new object, right? Like, oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. If I actually, I know Mm -hmm. this logically, but look, when my body actually does this, look at all the benefits. So I find that sometimes Mm -hmm. talking about it is almost a way of like, unpacking something that even though you know it emotionally, when you do it yourself, you just have to like share, share the curiosity about it or the newness or I don't know, something to it. But um, I don't know. Well, I do have a, I do have a ritual, uh, almost set conversation that content continues to change with my younger brother, who's also something of fitness, fitness freak and is also getting just old enough. I mean, he's about to turn 60 that he is starting to experience constraints. You know, things are going wrong. And in his case, I'm absolutely certain it's because of having been, well, I, I hesitate to say fanatical, but certainly dedicated. And, you know, something's going wrong with his shoulder. He's having nerve damage. He does a lot, has a lot of weights. I haven't done that much weights, but he has. And I think it's really starting to tell. So he and I, you know, we have a kind of state of the body discussion on a monthly basis. What basically what's going wrong with you now? You know, you had that trouble with your foot. Are you, you able to go back to running yet? No. <laughs> How much is the strength in your left arm decreasing? I mean, it's because we're sharing our gradual decay together. And also he and I on this level, at least, have never had any trouble with competition, which is what corrupts these conversations. They be, you know, when they go off, they're a one up, a series of one one upsmanship, and it's it's unpleasant. But this is much more a mutual sharing of grievances and disappointments, and I, I think it does make us both feel better. <laughs> I also think it's interesting in your book because. Women, as you point out, like the main character in your book, when she was growing up, women barely had to go through PE. They did like five sit-ups. And, oh, it was a joke. Right. It was like whatever. And, and, and you had some amazing women athletes go through this pathetic school rigmarole who had to find outlets for their amazing athleticism elsewhere. And so this character also was basically ignored and had to be, you know, like she does 500 sit-ups on her own every day without even thinking twice about it. So what about all those women who are now getting older who love working out or don't love it but need it? And then, you know, so I don't know. It's just very interesting because most books don't talk about that older female character who has had to reinvent herself and sort of use exercise in that way, the way that your book does, which is, I found super interesting. Oh, well, most books uh, that involve athleticism are are about triumph, right? So, you know, Rocky Three. It's, they're, they're always about overcoming difficulties. Now, you'll so, sometimes have plots in which your brave, noble, powerful protagonist has a problem because that's what you need 
for plots. Sometimes it's an injury. Sometimes it's a, you know, a terrible, you know, loss of confidence or a bout of depression. But you can bet that in almost every book, they're going to get on the other side of it and, you know, go win something. Um, <laughs> and all very well. That's the kind of fairy tale we like. We, we always like to read, but I don't think it's much of a comfort to normal people. And I, 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 I think it's important to be able to talk about our limitations with each other and our disappointments, as well as talking about our triumphs. I got your older book called Double Fault because I love tennis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm also, I'm trying to write this novel about with a tennis theme as well. And it says a novel about marriage, the ultimate sport, which is like the best subtitle basically ever. (laughs) I kind of want you to just like sit here and like make fun of my marriage the way that I feel like your eye does to (laughs) so many scenes. I feel like I could use like comic relief. But I feel like you must, you must have a very personal connection to that you must be an amazing athlete, first of all. I was sitting here reading all this stuff thinking like, well, you must be just this unspoken female athlete who you you keep writing about and you're just too modest to discuss it. Is that true? You know, as soon as we get into this area, I get anxious because I've noticed that any kind of claims to amateur, especially amateur, amateur athletic achievement backfire with people. There's a, a line I don't think you've got to in the book yet by one of the younger characters who says, anybody who exercises less than you is pathetic. (laughs) And anybody who exercises more than you is a nut. (laughs) And I think that's true. So essentially, you can't win. So whatever I tell you about what I do or have done, your audience is going to be measuring what I say in relation to what they do. And on either side of that line, I lose right? So if they have always run way more than I have, you know, I'm pathetic. That's nothing. But if I've always run more than they have, then there's something wrong with me. I'm a nut. I have a problem. And and so, you know, I'm probably going to avoid the specifics of whatever I do. All I will say is that I have been pretty dedicated on the physical front since I was in my early teens. But, you know, you you can tell when you're reading the book with whom your author sympathizes, and it's not the guy who's out there <laughs> doing all these public events. For me, it's always been a private matter. And ha- again, you know, having to do with my relationship with myself and trying to keep the little house in which I walk around in reasonable order. I mean, to me, it really is a lot like, you know, vacuuming the carpet, right? You just try to keep your body in a sufficient shape that, as I said earlier, you can do other things in it. And so it's not a big claim to fame. The thing is, I've always found it really heartbreaking when people have a relationship to their bodies that that is hostile. And that relationship can be consuming for a lot of people in, in, a, in a really unpleasant way. And I find that very sad. And I'm afraid that's especially the case with women, though that neurotic relationship has become more masculine as well. I mean, after all, there's a big con- connection between my current book, The Motion of the Body Through Space, and a previous novel. It's a couple books back called Big Brother, which is all about obesity. 
I steered very carefully clear of issues of weight in the new book because I feel I've already dealt with that and I don't want to be redundant. Uh, But they are in some ways companion pieces. Because I'm interested in the broader issue of our relationships to our bodies. And that also means that, uh, especially as the years advance, I'm interested in the experience of aging. And that's something that whether or not you're interested in now, it will eventually become interested in you. (laughs) So um, you don't have much choice unless you're just going to die early. So, and that's not exactly enviable either. So, and you know, and it is absolutely, it's fascinating. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do well. Very true. So tell me about how, like your books seem to have your finger on the pulse of basically everything that's going on. And each book seems to tackle something very timely, as you're saying, obesity. And that was through the lens of your brother, if I if I understood correctly, yeah, older your older brother. And your book, when we talk about Kevin, of course, with violence and the Mandevilles with the financial crisis, like there's always some link to something going on. And now, of course, exercise. Like, I feel like you're like the Forrest Gump of like tackling topics with your novels, right? The way that he kept like bouncing through all of them. So I'm curious as to what is coming, what the one's next, what the next one will be for you. Like what topics, like what do you see as the next big thing? Or are you already working on another novel? Oh, yeah. I'm almost finished with the first draft. And it's a, uh, I wrote an earlier novel called The Post-Birthday World, which is a parallel universe book, which looks at a, a woman's life, depending on which man she ends up with and how, how it contrasts. But I enjoyed that format. It's very playful. And so I'm applying that to a couple who resolve when they're in their early 50s that because it's all downhill from about the age of 80 in order to spare themselves, their, their families, and the healthcare system, they are going to kill themselves when they get to 80. But in this book, of course, they don't necessarily do that. And it looks at many different outcomes. If they don't, obviously, most of the outcomes are interesting when they don't. You know, what would they have missed out on? And in the last couple of chapters, it gets into science fiction. I have had such fun with this book. It is a riot. And again, it's very <laughs> playful. It does little rep, little deliberate repetitions and taking up. And I think it's really impor- important that it be fun because, of course, the material is a big wreck, right? It's about <laughs> aging and mortality. Oh, great. Let's read that. I can't wait. But because of the the premise and the and the way that it's organized and so that even if you have the one of the couple die, then in the next chapter they're alive, right? So and I don't want to say that you know you're not the reader is not asked to take it seriously, but it's a kind of thought experiment about the different possible outcomes for the end of our lives. And it's a big issue. Okay, so and that's and by the way, this is an issue that's not going anywhere anytime soon, including with the coronavirus. It's enormous. And especially as we continue to have extended life expectancy, you know, I think it's worth asking, what are the limits of our tolerance for the degradation of our quality of life? And, you know, it's it's all very well for us to say, well, you know, I would never go to a nursing home. You know, I I, I would find that intolerable. And I, I think that. You know, the, the loss of freedom, for example, having other people wipe my bum. I, 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 
and, and, and being told, you know, you can't have a second class point. <laughs> I just <laughs> being in other people's control would drive me crazy. But who knows what's going to happen, really? Because people make accommodate decay by degrees. They accommodate sacrifice by degrees. And then before you know it, you're in a circumstance and putting up with limitations that you never would have thought you would have tolerated when you were younger. And I guess, you know, this is infinitely interesting. That sounds amazing. My my grandmother is 96 and she's in a nursing home, essentially. It's like a collection of apartments, but it's a it's a glorified nursing home. And right now, like they won't even let her leave her tiny little apartment to take a walk down the endlessly long hallways because of the coronavirus. And it's like... Oh, that sounds awful. She's so upset. I mean, it's terrible. And she doesn't totally get it because she's getting a little confused. And oh, it's just right. the worst. And like, we can't go visit her. And anyway, you know. It sounds like torture. Right? It's like... It's torture. Yeah. Right? Solid confinement. Yeah. Although confinement with my children also feels torturous. No, I'm kidding, but not really kidding. But <laughs> no, I, in case they're listening, I love them. But anyway, it all, I mean, confinement against your will in any situation is just not, not pleasant as we're all finding around the world <laughs> right now. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? You've written so many books and you've continued to stay relevant, like at, with, at every turn with like never. And now your new book sounds even greater. And the one that I'm currently reading is amazing. What's like, what's your advice? And how do you, how do you keep coming up with ideas that really speak to people and include your sense of humor, which I'm a huge fan of? I think the main thing is to write where, whatever you damn well please. That means go ahead and write about a kooky subject if you, if you are interested in it or it pertains to you or or captures your imagination. And that the key is just to follow your own heart and your own creative sense, whatever gets your juices flowing. And it also applies to any sense of political limitations you may have. You know, be, be brave. The world is your oyster. That's one of the things that's great about being a fiction writer. You, you can write about anything. You know, that, that's in fact what makes it daunting because uh, that much freedom is frightening and can lead to a kind of paralysis. So that's why when I choose my subjects, I just go with whatever little freaky thing floats my boat. <laughs> and then even along the way, I use lots of lots of little tidbits. As long as they are the source of some emotion in my life, that's usually a good sign that I can do something with it. I mean, the I don't think you've got to it in the book yet, but in the, the new book, the exercise book, there's a backstory. And it, it, the husband, Remington, got very, he works for the Department of Transportation in Albany, and he gets very excited about this issue of LED streetlights because you can choose different Kelvin ratings. And it, it really matters what it feels like in a city, depending on what, what which new streetlights they put in. And when they put in the really bright, hard blue ones, everything looks ugly and you want to kill yourself. I mean, it's just, it's a kind of assault. And so he's really into making sure that Albany puts in attractive, lower level, warmer streetlights that are still going to save energy that are make life beautiful at, at night. And, you know, I just grabbed this because I spent part of the year in New York City and in my neighborhood of Brooklyn. And of course, this is spread throughout the entire five boroughs. They've put in really, really awful, cold, blue, glaring, hideous LED street lamps. And 
it drove me to despair. <laughs> and so I did, you, you, you wanted advice for writers. I'm just giving you an example of something that had nothing to do with my life in fiction. It was a part of my regular life. And I even wrote a, a, an op-ed for the New York Times complaining about these lights. Not that it, that it did any good, like most <laughs> op-eds. Use your passions, whatever they are. You know, just something that stirs a reaction in you. And that, that, can, that can be something public like these street lamps, or it can be much, something much more private, something that's driving you crazy with your spouse or one of your best friends, whatever. But look for where the heat is. I love that. I think I'm going to start keeping a list now of all the things that are pissing me off. Because <laughs> you never know, maybe they'll find their way into a book. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, right? I, I should. I should. It would probably be beneficial for many reasons to be doing that right now anyway. <laughs> Get it off my chest. Thank you so much for this conversation. I'm sorry I did not finish your book in time. I almost, I almost always get a chance to finish, and I just didn't. And I'm so sorry. It's not for lack of Everyone respect. Everyone has an excuse for everything now. I'm, well, we're all excused. Um, right now, I, we're all excused. I know. I'm sorry. I'm really Free sorry. Hall pass. You know, get out of jail free. Everything. You... You read some of it, and we had a delightful conversation. Well, thank you for understanding. And thank you. And thanks for writing. And I'm, you know, I'll continue to follow you forever. I've had the post-birthday world, by the way, on my bookshelf since it came out. And I love the color of the cover. I loved the book. So I actually think of you more than you might know <laughs> because of its placement. So uh, anyway, well, thank you. And thanks for thanks for the chat. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Unsweetened NYC for partnering with us today and for making such badass shirts for women. Many badasses I know are listening now and they need a uniform, so there you go. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.